All right, how are we today? Good? All right, good. Well, hey, let's get our Bibles. Let's go back uh, where we've been the past several weeks, 1 Corinthians 13. And while you're flipping there, I just wanted to share my heart with you for a moment, if I could. Uh, This has been one of those messages this week for me that I feel like has sat really heavy on me. Um, I'm typically the kind of guy that when I study and prepare for messages, I read a lot, think a lot, pray a lot, leading up to the point when I actually write my message. Now, this week I felt like it was different. I felt like I wrote this message. I still prayed and thought and, you know, read a lot. But I wrote this message, and it was kind of after I wrote it that I felt like it really started sitting on me. And uh, last night I was hanging out with my wife and daughter and uh, just in the kitchen doing some dishes and, and doing the dinner thing. And I just couldn't shake thinking about this morning. And I'll tell you, man, I really believe that God wants to speak to some of us this morning in a really powerful way and send us out of this place different people. And so before we dive into uh, the topic, I just want us to stop and pray for that if we could. So will you join me in that? Father, I just thank you so much for the opportunity, God, we have to gather here this morning under the name of Jesus. God, I just thank you for the hope and the forgiveness and the salvation and eternal life we have in him. Father, I pray this morning, God, as we talk about the love that you've shown us in your son, Jesus, God, that you would just grab our hearts, transform us, change us, send us out of this room different than when we came in. God, I pray that hearts would be soft, that ears would be open, God, that we would be ready to receive whatever you have to say to us. So God, do in this place this morning things that only you can do. We trust you for that. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, all right, uh, start with a question. Any UGA fans here today? Okay, a few. I, I think that this has been the crowd with the most UGA fans. Um, if you're not, a, I got booed in the last service for just asking that question. So people in the other services thought we needed to start over, pray again um, after I asked that question. So thanks for not booing me. Um, I'm, I'm a UGA fan, and I don't know if you've kept up with what's been going on with the dogs lately, but if you have, here's what you know. A handful of players have gotten themselves into quite a bit of trouble lately, and uh, several of the guys have been suspended from the team, and one guy in particular, his name is Isaiah Crowell, he's the running back for UGA, he has been permanently dismissed from the team. I'll tell you a little bit about this guy if you don't know about him. Um, he was the number one running back in the country when he was in high school. So UGA went after him, they gave him the hard sell, they recruited him, he came and played ball, and last year was his rookie year at Georgia. Well, he stayed in some trouble last year, Um, he got hurt last year, and so his playing time on the field, it was kind of shaky, and he was in and out. Um, Now this offseason, it just came out this past week, Isaiah Crowell was actually arrested for felony weapon charges, and after that, the, the team, the coaches, the leaders, they met with him and they let him go, and so he's no longer a bulldog. Well, I've got a buddy uh, who's a pastor and a friend, and he loves Jesus and loves people. I would never question this guy's heart or or character. Well, he's not a UGA fan, and so I was on Facebook this past week, and he actually posted about the situation. Now, since he's not a UGA fan, he was celebrating it, right? He's celebrating the fact that their star running back, you know, did something dumb, released from the team, because now whatever team he cheers for now has a better chance of winning. Now, I was really impressed, though, when a short time later, he actually came back onto Facebook, and he deleted that post and replaced it with an apology. And here's what his his new post said. He basically said, I want to apologize for celebrating a rival's team's running back 
getting arrested and thrown in jail. He said, that's something that my heart should be breaking over, not celebrating. And when he posted that, it just grabbed me and it made me think. And it made me think about times in my life when I've looked at someone who has made a poor decision, a sinful decision, and they've reaped the consequences of their sin, and I've sat back and, and witnessed it, and at the end of the day was left going, good. You know, they're just getting what they deserve, right? I don't know if any of you have done that before. Maybe with somebody who's treated you poorly, you know, I mean, you experience, you know, I don't know, injustice or whatever at the hands of somebody else, and then they make bad decisions, they pursue sin, consequences flood into their lives, and you're left sitting back going, awesome, they're just getting what they deserve. I mean, I know how they treated me and how they acted toward me, and that's exactly what they need to be going through. Good. Or maybe some of us have done this with um, people in the public eye, like my friend did, politicians, celebrities athletes. You know, maybe we see people on TV or in magazines and we don't particularly care for them because of how they act and then something comes along because of their sinful bad decisions. And again, we're left sitting there going, that's exactly what they deserve. I mean, if they don't live like that, if they didn't act like that, if they didn't make those decisions, they wouldn't be going through this, but hopefully they'll learn this time. Maybe some of us celebrating the sin and wrongdoing of others um, looks more like us ignoring what they're doing. You know what I'm talking about? Like people you know who are making sinful decisions, pursuing sinful lifestyles, and you're looking at that and you're kind of calloused toward it and you shrug it off and it's no big deal to you. Or maybe some of us, and we'll go all the way to the extreme, maybe some of us, we view the sin, the wrongdoing of other people, people we know, people in the public eye, and maybe some of us actually sit back and applaud it and go, that's awesome, that's great, and at the end of the day, people who our hearts should be breaking over become our heroes and our idols. I don't know where you sit with that, but here's what I do know. I do know that the scriptures teach us that the love we're called to display to others as followers of Jesus Christ is the exact opposite of what I just described. According to Paul, when we love people with agape love, love for no reason at all, the same love God showed us in Jesus, it refuses to celebrate sin and wrongdoing. It refuses to celebrate the consequences of sin that flood into the lives of people because of sinful decisions and lifestyles. Now, if you go back to 1 Corinthians, you'll find that this church actually had a big problem with what we're talking about today. This was a church, and you can read about this in 1 Corinthians 5 and 6. This was a church that was great at ignoring and applauding sin of other people. Um, and Paul actually, in those two chapters, rebukes them on a few uh, particular things. One, he calls them out on celebrating incest in the church. Um, he calls them out on Christians suing each other in the church, just dumb stuff. He calls them out on applauding and ignoring people in the church, soliciting and sleeping with prostitutes. And Paul writes, and he's basically saying to this church, what are you guys doing here? Like, what's going on with you? This is not what we do as followers of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we love each other like Christ has loved us. And that means when it comes to sin and sinful lifestyles and consequences of sin, we refuse to celebrate that stuff and instead we choose to celebrate what's true. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write down the big idea for the day. As followers of Jesus, we are called to love people and to love each other 
in a way where we celebrate what's true. This is what agape love does. It celebrates what's true. Now, I want us to read these verses together from 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to read verses 4 through 7, and I'll explain and we'll talk about what that statement means. So here's what Paul has to say again about love. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Now, when Paul talks about loving people in a way that rejoices or or in a way that celebrates with the truth, here's simply what it means. It means that we as followers of Jesus Christ, we set our hearts on the truth of the gospel message and we love people based on that good news. So we'll break it down even further so we can really understand what this means, okay? It means that you and I as followers of Jesus choose to love people because at a foundational level, we believe that all people were created by God, they matter to God, they're valued by God, and they're loved by Him. It means that you and I look at people and we choose to love them because we understand that the sin in their lives has killed them spiritually and separated them from God, not only in this life, but will in the next as well, apart from Jesus Christ. It means that you and I set our hearts and minds on the truth that God loves sinful people so much. That over 2,000 years ago, he wrapped himself in flesh and came to the earth as a man named Jesus and came to save sinners through his life and his death and his resurrection. It means we set our hearts and our minds on the amazing truth that never has God looked at us as sinful people and rejoiced in our sin. Never has he looked at us and celebrated our wrongdoing. Never has he looked at us and celebrated the consequences that sin has brought into our lives. You get that, right, church? God never looked at you and went, ah, stinks for them. I mean, disease, death, hell, that's what they deserve now. Shouldn't have chosen sin over me. They're just getting what they deserve. I mean, that's exactly what, the, what they asked to be in that kind of position. God never did that. You know, we choose to love people because we understand that when God looks at us as sinful people, his heart goes out to us. Again, so much so that over 2,000 years ago, he came after us. We love people for that. We love people with urgency and with compassion and deep concern because, again, we understand, church, that if they die without Jesus, it means an eternity separated from God in a very real place called hell. Church, listen to me. If we truly believe the truth of that gospel message, how in the world could we ever celebrate the sin and wrongdoing in someone's life? If we really believe it. If we really believe the gospel message, how in the world could we ever celebrate the consequences that sin brings into the lives of people knowing from the scriptures that sin causes destruction and death and ruin? How could we celebrate that? And church, I just want to remind us again that what we're called to as followers of Jesus is to love people differently than that. We're called to love people in a way that shows that we rejoice in and we're committed to celebrating what is true about Jesus and who he came for. Here's what we can't afford, church. What we can't afford to do is just to show up to church every week and celebrate the good news through song and talk about the gospel of Jesus when we teach and we listen and Um, 
We can't afford to do that and then to leave and just to file that information away as good theological information. You get that, right? Like, listen to me. If what you know to be true in your head has not affected your heart and moved you to compassion when it comes to other people, I would just ask if you really believe what you say you know. Because I don't know if you believe what you say you know, if you can look at other people and celebrate sin and ruin and wrongdoing and destruction instead of looking at other people and loving them because of who Jesus wants to be in their life as a sinful person. Church, listen, that's where we're going. That's the church we're going to be as a church who loves people because of our commitment to Jesus and what's true about him. So here's the deal. What does that love look like? When applied in real life, what does that love look like? Um, As we've done every other week, we're just going to learn from Jesus. So I want you to flip your Bibles over to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And we're going to start reading in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to follow along up on the screens. Here's what the scripture says, John 8, starting in verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women, so what do you say? And they said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and he wrote with his finger on the ground. Now I want us to get the full understanding of what's going on here, so let's talk about this. The Bible says Jesus is in the temple and he's teaching. So, I mean, imagine this. Imagine a scene like, you're all here, we're worshiping, I'm up here teaching, and through the back door busts some religious people with somebody they caught in sin, and they throw this person into the middle of the room and say, James, what do you think we should do with her? Like, that's what's going on in this story. And these guys look at Jesus and say, hey, you know what? Old Testament law, Moses said in Leviticus 20 and Deuteronomy 22 that when we catch somebody in the act of adultery, we should kill them. We should stone them to death. So Jesus, we want to know what you have to say about what we should do with this woman. Now, a couple things I want to point out here, okay? Um, One, the Bible tells us plainly that these men brought this woman to Jesus and asked him this question so they might have a charge against him. You see, these were religious men, again, they didn't like Jesus, and they were always looking for ways to trip him up and to discredit his ministry. Now, here's what these guys knew. They knew that if they brought this sinful woman to Jesus, and he agreed that they should kill her, that his reputation for being compassionate, forgiving, and loving towards sinful people, it would be done away with. They also knew, though, that if he looked back at the Old Testament scriptures and said, don't worry about that, shrug it off, pay no attention, that his reputation as a rabbi, a prophet, and a teacher would be in question. And so these men, they thought they were really smart. They thought they had Jesus cornered. They thought there was no way he was getting out of this situation without his reputation being tarnished. Now, another thing I want to point out is this. These men who brought this woman to Jesus... They saw absolutely no value in this woman at all. Zero. I mean, they brought this woman to Jesus to use her. They were rejoicing in her sin, celebrating her wrongdoing, enjoying their moral superiority over her, 
all because they saw it as an opportunity to trap Jesus. They didn't care about loving her. All they were worried about is benefiting from her sin. And Jesus' response, it's interesting. I mean, verse 6 tells us that he just bends down, starts drawing in the sand. I mean, we don't know what Jesus was writing or drawing. Some Bible teachers and scholars have suggested maybe Jesus was writing in the sand the sins of the men who brought this woman to him. Um, other teachers have suggested maybe Jesus at that point was so angry with how these religious men were treating this woman that he bent down to write in the sand to gain his composure before he spoke and he's just doodling. We don't know. Um, what we do know is it appears for a short time that Jesus was just ignoring them. And also says they just kept pressing in. What should we do? What should we do? What should we do? Can we kill her? Can we kill her? And then I want you to look back Verses 7 and 8, and see how Jesus finally responds. The Bible says, as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and he wrote on the ground. So Jesus looks at these guys and he goes, okay, you know what, you want to go Old Testament on me, let's go Old Testament. And so Jesus reminds these guys of a couple of laws written back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 13, Deuteronomy 17, laws that specifically addressed what to do in a situation with someone who is guilty of a crime or punishment deserving of execution. Jesus brings these up. Now, here was what the law said. It said, if you were a witness to a sin or a crime that was deserving of execution, you as a witness got to start the execution. But there was a catch to this law. The law also said, as a witness, you couldn't be guilty of a crime or a sin deserving of that same type of punishment if you were going to take part in the execution of another person. So what it came down to is this, in those situations, a person literally had to wrestle with their conscience and decide whether or not they felt okay about executing someone else. And so in responding the way he did, Jesus wasn't shrugging off that Old Testament law. He wasn't ignoring it. What he was saying to the men is this. He was saying, guys, listen, if you are righteous enough, if you are holy enough, if you are sinless enough, that your conscience would allow you to look past your own sin and kill this woman for hers, go ahead, throw the stones. Throw the stones. And Jesus just bends back down and he starts writing in the sand again. This time to give these men some time to think about themselves. And the Bible says that one by one, these guys just started leaving until Jesus was left all alone there, standing face to face with this woman. Now, for those of us in the room who have a tough time loving people who are making sinful choices, sinful decisions, pursuing sinful lifestyles, for those of us in the room who tend to celebrate when people suffer the consequences of poor sinful decisions, I just want to tell you what I think your biggest issue is. It's the same issue that the men in this story suffered from. Here it is. The men in this story, they were quick to see everybody else's sin, but they were slow to see their own. And there's some of us in the room who I think maybe that's true of. Right? We look around at other people and we are quick, quick to slap the sinner label onto the backs of others, but we fail to stop and wrestle with and see and remind ourselves of what we're guilty of. 
And listen to me, church, when you fail to understand and to recognize that you are a sinner in need of God's grace and forgiveness just as much as everybody else around you, you will fail to show the kind of love to others that Jesus has shown you. Church, you got to remember, you're sinner first. Sinner first, sinned against second. Church, we've got to be those people that bask in every day the grace and forgiveness of God. It's the only way we can give it away to other people. It's the only way. I want you to look back down with me at what Jesus has to say to this woman as he's standing there alone with her in verses 10 and 11. The Bible says, Jesus stood up and he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Jesus says to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, Sin no more. You know what we see here in Jesus? We see agape love. We see love for no reason at all. We see Jesus choosing to love this woman even when she doesn't deserve to be loved. We see Jesus not choosing to celebrate her sin, celebrate her wrongdoing, celebrate the way she was treated by these religious men who brought her to him. What we see instead is Jesus choosing to love this woman based on what's true about him and what's true about her. And I want you to think about this scene with me so that we can get this full picture of how we see the truth of the gospel in that relationship between Jesus and this adulterous woman. Think with me about this. What do we know is true about Jesus? Well, we know that Jesus is God. He's God in the flesh. We know he's perfect, he's sinless, and he's holy. We know in Luke 19.10, Jesus said that he came to seek and save the lost We know in Mark 2.17 that Jesus said he came not to call righteous people, but he came to call sinners. We know that Acts 4.12 tells us there's no name under heaven by which men must be saved except that of Jesus. We know Romans 8.1 tells us that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.39 tells us that nothing, church, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We know in John 14.6 that Jesus says himself, He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. We know Jesus says in the very next verse after this story we're reading today, he says he is the light of the world, and whoever will walk in him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is what's true about Jesus. Now think with me about the woman standing opposite to him. What do we know to be true about her? Um, We know that she was created by him. We know that she matters to him. We know that she's valued by him. We know that she's loved by him. We know that this is a woman who's been caught up in sin and now she's found out. And she's disgraced and she's probably suffering from guilt and shame that few of us can understand. We know that this is a woman who, if she continues on in her sin, it's going to lead to destruction. I mean, the Bible tells us if we don't put our sin to death, that our sin will kill us. And so we know that if she continues down the path she's on, it's going to go really bad for her, not only in that life that she was living, but in the next. We know that this is a woman standing face to face with Jesus who is God, and she's in desperate need of everything he is and everything he has to offer her. How does Jesus respond to this woman? You know what he does? 
chooses to love her. He chooses to love her. He chooses again to love her based on what's true about him and what's true about her. He looks at this woman and he doesn't just shrug her sin off. He doesn't just treat her sin as no big deal. Church, you get that sin is a big deal, right? It's such a big deal that Jesus died for it. It's a big deal. But instead what Jesus did is he chose to look at this woman and to love her in spite of her sin. Instead of offering her condemnation for her sin, he chose to offer her what he came to earth to offer sinful people, which is hope and life and freedom and forgiveness. And he looked at this woman and said, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. And because I'm not condemning you, go and sin no more. We see a beautiful picture of agape love, of love based on what's true here in John 8. And church, listen, let me remind you again, this is the same kind of love that we're called to share with people. We don't love people based on how we feel. We don't love people based on how sinful they are or how sinful they aren't. We don't love people based on what they've done and what they haven't done. We don't Love people based on how well they've treated us or how poor they've treated us. What we do is we love people based on what's true. We love them based on who they are and what Jesus came to offer them as sinful people. And listen to me, church, that has to be enough for us. It has to be enough for us. See, when we start believing that God loves sinners so much that he came after them, you know what we won't do anymore? We won't celebrate sin, right? Because we know where sin leads. It leads to death. Jesus came to give people life. We know sin separates people from God. We want people to be reconciled to God. We don't celebrate sin. We believe the gospel message. We don't celebrate the consequences of sin in people's life. We don't enjoy sitting back and watching people's lives crumble around them because we understand that's the enemy at work. And we're fighting for the other side. We don't sit back and just ignore people who are caught up in sin because we understand that if they continue on in their sin, their sin's going to kill them. And we've got a message they need to hear. What do we do, church? You know what we do instead? We love people with humility and contrition and we seek ways to come alongside people who are making poor decisions and living sinful lifestyles and in love and with humility. We seek to show them their sin and to show them the way out of sin and his name is Jesus. That's what we do. Church, I just ask you, are you loving people like that? Are you loving people like that? Are you loving people again based on what you know to be true about Jesus and what he's come to do for them? Maybe another great way to ask it is this. Um, are you loving people like their eternities depended on it? Are you loving people like it's a matter of life and death? Because church, I'll just remind you, it is. It is a matter of life and death. And we've been called to go proclaim life to people who are on their way to death got to bring love with us. So here's what we want to do in closing. Um, I just want to call us as a church to pray that God would give us that kind of heart. I, I want us to pray that God would help us to see people like he sees people. I just want you to pray in the next few moments and say, God, help me to value people like you value people. Help me to remember that everybody I come in contact with matters to you, is created by you, and loved by you. 
And God, help me to love people with the same love you've shown me in Jesus. I want you to think about the people in your life that maybe you've sat back and you've applauded what's going on in their life because of sin. Or maybe you've just chosen to ignore it. I want you to pray and ask God to break your hearts for those people. God, put in me something that just drives me to share with love and urgency with that person or those people. Um, If you're here this morning and you know Jesus and there's unconfessed and unrepentant sin in your life, I would say start there. Start there. You can't go love other people stuck in sin if you're stuck in sin yourself. Confess, repent. The Bible says, man, if you'll confess your sins to God, he is faithful and just. He is ready and willing to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So come to him today and repent of those things. And for those of us who don't know Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to come to know Jesus today. So before we enter our prayer time, um, let's just do that. With heads bowed and eyes closed. If you don't know Jesus today, if you've never placed your faith in him as Savior, as God, as Lord, maybe you're stuck in sin, you're pursuing a sinful lifestyle, God's just been an afterthought to you, but today you understand that your sin is going to kill you, it's going to destroy you, and that you need the hope and life and forgiveness found in Jesus and him alone. If that's you, the Bible said if you'll come to God and repent and believe, that he'll save you. Repentance, it's this change of mind that leads to a change of direction. So it's you saying, you know what, I'm done doing life my way. I'm done living in sin. And I want to come after Jesus. I want to follow him. And I want to live the life that he's created me to live. At that point, you need to be willing to believe and confess some things about Jesus. You need to be willing to believe and confess that he is God. That he came to the earth and lived a perfect life. And died in your place for your sins, taking your punishment from God. That he rose from the grave so that you could have eternal life. The Bible says you repent and believe, God will save you. He'll bring you into his family. He'll make you a son. He'll make you a daughter. He'll make you a new creation, give you a new heart, fill you with his Holy Spirit so that you can live the life he's called you to live. And he will change your eternity right now in this moment. So in your seat, if you need to come to know him, just confess those things. Believe he's God. Believe he died for me. Believe he's alive today and can give me life. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. Ask him to set you free of your sin. Ask Jesus just to rescue you today. He promises that he will. For the rest of us, I don't care if you want to pray in your seat. I don't care if you want to Get somewhere else in the room and be alone. If you want to come up to the stage and use it as an altar before the Lord, wherever you want to go, whatever you want to do, I just want you to spend this time alone. God, break my heart. Give me eyes to see like you see. Help me to love and value people, to love people based on what's true. God, work during this time. We love you.